what seems like a very long time ago. I remember reading through an autobiography that Wayne Gretzky had penned with the then senior editor of the uh, Sports Illustrated. His name was Rick Riley. It was on the occasion of him leaving the Edmonton Oilers and pitching tent in Los Angeles. So Gretzky said in this book that when he was a child, his father would make him count how long he was on the ice for, the seconds of every shift. Later on, he said that he would never look at the clock in the final minute of a game because he always had this clock running inside of his head. He just knew how many seconds were left which seems like a really nice way to explain what we actually have in life, not just on the ice. The truth is all the things that we have, certainly as you get older you appreciate this, are very temporary. The money and clothes, cars and homes, we look at them in our closets or driveways and it seems like they're permanent, but the brick and steel will fade and wither. The silk, cotton and wool will wear and thread away. And the ancient rabbis looked around at the world that they lived in, the world of the Greeks and the Romans. And the, and the answer of the Greeks and the Romans and even the ancient Egyptians was, the place where you would find God would be the most ornamental, the largest building to be found anywhere in the land. But the Torah, the ancient rabbis said, had a very different answer. The Torah tells us that God is not found in things. And God is not found in places. So where then is God found? God is found in moments. Judaism looks to argue that God cannot be found here or there or this place or that place in this thing or in that thing. But every holiday that is mentioned in the Torah begins with these words, Eilet Moadei Adonai, that these are the moments of God, which tells us that we meet God in time in the moments that we have been given to live and experience. So on this beautiful moment, I have two stories to share with you that I hope will help us feel the godliness and goodness of this moment. The Hasidic rabbi, known as the Kutzker Rebbe, once asked his students if they know where God is. And one student answers, well, God is in heaven. And another student says, well, God is inside of us, inside of our souls. And a third says that God is everywhere. And the rabbi lowered his head and took a deep breath. And then he looked at them and said, Don't you know that God is anywhere that you let him in? What a breathtaking idea. Saying that God is waiting at the door to be let in. That the things that we desperately want in our lives aren't in some distant place or through some long, arduous process not in the catalog or in a mall, but here waiting for you. Reminding us that if you think we pray because we want success or we pray because we want health or good luck or safety, I think you're wasting your time. Because we don't pray to change God. We pray to change ourselves. If you don't believe that God is the old man in the sky, well, I don't either, and I haven't in a long time. But if you're open to a mystery, that life isn't everything we can possibly suppose it to be, then you're open to the mystery that, Ein Kelohin, there is nothing quite like God. 
This moment is called Ni'ilah, and it was an ancient Talmudic dispute about what gates were actually closing at this moment, because the word Ni'ilah means actually cl to close the gates. One rabbi turned around and said that it is a literal thing, meaning that the gates of the temple, when it stood in Jerusalem, at this moment, as the sun was setting, that they would begin to close, symbolizing to all the people, both inside the temple and outside the temple, that the day, Yom Kippur, and everything you could accomplish in it, was coming to an end. But another rabbi, his name is Judah, Yehuda, he said it's symbolic. That not the gates on heaven, no, excuse me, not the gates on earth, but the gates in heaven, that they're slowly being closed, but God is holding them open just a little bit longer for us to get our last prayers in. So I want to speak to you about a Kananiila that comes to my mind. Over this past uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, I shared some stories with you of a trip that I took to Germany. But I have one last one for you. And in doing so, I'm fulfilling a promise that I made. So bear with me. The old city of Munich has beautiful cobblestone, cobblestone lined streets. But as beautiful as Munich is, and it is beautiful, it's like everything else in Germany because it's complicated for Jews. Because Munich was ground zero for the nationalist socialist movement that created Nazism. And much of Hitler's early success actually came from the popularity that he enjoyed in Munich and its surrounding areas. The night that I was in Munich, my first night, we toured Munich's new Jewish community center. And over dinner, we met with the city's recently retired chief rabbi, Stephen Lagnisch. As it would turn out, Rabbi Lagnisch and I have some interesting shared history. Truth is, as soon as he walked into the room, him and I did a double take. And we asked the same question at the same time. Where do I know you from? Well, it took about 30 minutes, but we had it all figured out. Because of my German heritage, I had learned to pray out of a classic German Sidor called the Rudelheimer. It might be hard to imagine, but in front of you, in front of every seat in the sanctuary, is a letter-perfect copy of a Sidor of a Machser. But until a German-Jewish printer named Sigmund Baer decided to produce that Sidor, the Sidorim that most Jews had for centuries were flawed, mistake-ridden, and they were incomplete. The Rudelheimer that was printed by this German-Jewish printer, Sigmund Baer, became the Sidor par excellence. And I had lost my copy many years ago. So after dinner, Rabbi Lagnish walked us through the new central synagogue where I told him about you, my wonderful congregation of the young families of your Zionism and the great spirit that we have here. I also told him that I was looking to buy a copy of the Rudelheimer and he said that the museum bookshop sells them. As we're about to leave the synagogue, Rabbi Lagnish pulls me on my shoulder, and he hands this to me. And he says, I want you to have it. But I tell him, really? I'm very happy to buy one from the gift shop. And he says, no, I want you to have this one, but on one condition. You must tell the story of this Sidur to your congregation. And I promised him I would. So here it is. In 1939, as Germany waged war and rolled into Poland, the printing press that had the printing place to this Sidor was closed up in Germany. In the dark of that night, in that year, 
Two people under great danger had moved dozens of heavy metal plates from the printer. And through a series of meetings and handoffs to other people, they arranged to have the plates carried off to Basel, Switzerland, and for safekeeping. The fear was is that if these stayed inside Germany, the plates would be destroyed. Think about that for a moment. Already six years under Nazi rule, three years since the Nuremberg Laws have passed, one year since Kristallnacht, and these people weren't thinking to save their own lives or the lives of their family, but the metal printing plates to a Sidora prayer book. They got the plates out, and when the war was over and Germany defeated, the German communities of America, the Jewish communities of America sent people to help support the survivors. When the Jews came back to Munich to search for family and friends who may have survived, they came back to find their synagogues destroyed and the Sidori and the prayer books were all gone. And the Americans ordered new ones to be printed. This Sidor is from that first printed run done in 1945, made from the plates that had been taken out to Basel, Switzerland, the original plates of the Rudelheid and the Sidor that centuries and generations of Jews had prayed from. Our question for this evening is, what can we believe in? You are the descendant of people that gave birth to one person whose name we don't know, but in the midst of all that hell, they had an idea in their mind and that is, they would organize an effort to get printing plates out of Germany to save them. When we think about Ne'ilah, the closing of the gates, I think both of those rabbis are right. There are gates on this earth, and there are gates in heaven. This Sidur reminds us that the most meaningful gates that you'll find in your life are the ones on this earth. We'll now begin the ELA on page 448. 